When I was a little girl, I played in the Oso Little Miss Kickball League. Now, for those of you who've never heard of it, Little Miss Kickball is a legitimate community sports organization, just like Little League Baseball. It was formed in South Texas, where I grew up. My older brothers played baseball, but back then girls were not allowed to play on Little League teams, and we really had nothing comparable of our own. So Little Miss Kickball was a blessing for me and lots of other little girls. I began playing in the junior league in second grade. All the teams were named for flowers. My team was the Cosmos, so we were red. But we also had the buttercups and the blue bonnets and the sunflowers and the petunias. <laughs> the first year I played, I was not very good. You know, when you play kickball at school, it's kind of loosey-goosey. But in league, there is a chalked-off kicker circle that you have to stay within and a rectangular home plate that the pitches have to clear to be a strike. And there's a bunt line that your kick has to clear to be in fair play. And even the pitchers have to stay in a mark box. A marked box, yeah. So the first year, I was just trying to get down the rules and the strategies for all of this. But the second year, I was much improved. And lo and behold, I made the all-star team. Now, 15 girls were chosen for the all-star team. 10 girls play at any one time. In kickball, you have two shortstops instead of one. But the way it worked back then, 10 girls were chosen as starters. Three were chosen as subs, and two were chosen as alternates. I was first alternate. <laughs> now, I made the team. I had to go to every practice. I got my all-star uniform. It was green, and I looked adorable in it. I lined up on the baseline with everyone else to sing the national anthem before the game started. I did everything all the other girls did. I just didn't get a play in the games. <laughs> yes, this was kind of a bummer, but it was my role. My role was first alternate. Our team made our way through the playoffs into the championship series. And in the last game, when we were up by a lot of runs and we even had a game to spare, coach put me into the game. I only played two innings. I never saw any action in right field and I never got to the plate to kick. But when we clinched the win, I was on the field and I got to join the pile with all the other girls who had actually won it for us. And by the time they presented us our trophies, my uniform was even a little dirty. <laughs> I tell you all of this to say, I know what it's like to be Matthias. I know what it's like to be the alternate who is there for everything but not picked for the main team. And I know the joy of getting just a taste of it late in the game. Our story from Acts this morning is the choosing of a new apostle to take the place of Judas. All the followers of Jesus are in the upper room together praying. And after this time of prayer, Peter stands and tells the group that they must choose a replacement for Judas, who not only betrayed Jesus, but who is now dead. We have to remember how important the symbolism of Jesus having 12 apostles was. In the church, as the new Israel, the apostles represented the 12 tribes of the kingdom. 
Peter lists the qualifications that the replacement must have. He must have been with Jesus from as far back as his baptism by John, and then all the way through to his ascension just a few days before. In other words, he had to have made all the practices, heard all the instructions, and showed up every day ready to play. Peter says this person must become a witness with us to Jesus' resurrection. The group discusses among themselves, and they choose two men to nominate who fit this criteria, Justice and Matthias. The group prays over these two men, asking for God's guidance. Then they cast lots and choose Matthias, who is added as the twelfth apostle. This is a good day for Matthias. He is chosen late in the game to suit up and play. It's perhaps not as good a day for Justice, who's the new first alternate. But here's the thing. We never hear another word about Matthias. Neither he nor Justice, for that matter, is ever mentioned in Scripture again. So it got me wondering if this is a decision the group should have made at all. And here's why I'm wondering. This decision happens in the 10 days between when the resurrected Jesus leaves their presence ascending to the Father and when his never-ending presence arrives in the form of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. This 10 days is a pregnant time a time of waiting on the Lord. The disciples are in prayer. The result of that prayer is that Peter believes they are to choose a replacement for Judas. There appears to be a discussion by the entire group. They pray to God for guidance and make their decision. And there's no indication of any dissent over the final outcome. All of this seems to support what they did. But it is interesting. Jesus spent 40 days with them. And he never chose a replacement for Judas. Nor, as far as we know, did he ask the disciples to do so. What we know Jesus did say is, go wait for the Holy Spirit. Assuring them that it would be just a matter of days. And yet, they choose to make this decision before the Holy Spirit arrives. And they make their decision by casting lots, a method used in the Old Testament to know God's will, but never used by Jesus or indeed anywhere else in the New Testament. It would be like the vestry discussing an issue, praying to God about it, and then rolling a pair of dice to determine God's answer. So were Peter and the other disciples right or wrong to choose a replacement? Now that I've built it up, we might think this is an important thing for us to know. But is it? Do we believe the plans of God collapse when folks fail to do the right thing? Do we really believe God's purposes are achieved only when we do the right thing? If the book of Acts underscores anything, it is that God is sovereign 
and he works all things in accordance with his will. God was not prevented from using Matthias for his purposes if he was wrongly chosen, any more than God was obliged to use Matthias for his purposes if he was rightly chosen. This is the witness to God that we see over and over in Scripture, in the history of the church, and even today. The beauty of Pentecost was that it broke wide open for the apostles the boundaries that they were placing on who God would use to proclaim his gospel and build his church. The book of Acts is not the account of believers so transformed that the growth of the church is inevitable. Mm -mm. The book of Acts is the account of God working through the power of the Holy Spirit by means of people and in spite of them to accomplish that which they would have never envisioned themselves in ways they could have never imagined. God's plan for going forth into the world is so much bigger and audacious than we could ever dream of. The selection of Matthias is the first of many decisions by the church, good and bad, right and wrong, that God will gather up into a better plan, his plan. This is good news for us. One of the questions most often asked by Christians is, what is God's will for me? To help discern God's will, we should absolutely follow the example of these disciples. We should reflect on scripture, pray, submit it to the community of faith, and then make a decision and move forward. We may get it right. We may get it wrong. It doesn't really matter. In one of his teachings, Adam Hamilton says, God's will is more about how we make our decisions than about the specific decisions we make. I want you to hear that again. God's will is more about how we make our decisions than about the specific decisions we make. This has brought me a great deal of peace. I've spent much time and energy in the past worrying if I was making the right decision and sometimes being paralyzed by the possibility that I might get it wrong. But God is much more concerned about the how of our decision-making than the what. We are called to make our decisions out of love of God and love of others. We are given scripture and more definitively, the life of Jesus as a means of determining what it looks like to live this way. And we're given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit that guides us into God's truth. When we are worried about being in God's will, we must remember that we live under the canopy of the forgiving love of God. Thomas Merton says, I believe our desire to please God does in fact please God. This is true. We faithfully make a decision and then we step out boldly knowing that God is always working to make the best of our decisions. 
after he is chosen as the twelfth apostle, we hear nothing more of Matthias. But this also is good news. Few of us have ministries that are obviously dramatic and impactful. Most of us are a lot more like Matthias. We are loyal participants in the group, hanging around the periphery of the action and faithfully filling the role assigned us. The church is built through the ministry and witness of Matthias-like disciples. May we, as followers of Christ and as this particular people of God, spend time in discernment, make our decisions, and move forward, trusting that the God who loves us also works to redeem us so that we, like Matthias and the other apostles, may be witnesses to the Lord's resurrection. Amen.